Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I am the Youth Director here at SFBC. This week, Pastor Tim Voth kicks off our new sermon series, Going Through Advent. Enjoy! All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome here. I'm Tim. I'm the Community Life Pastor here at Sardis, and uh, I have the joy and privilege of being able to uh, bring a word this morning. So why don't we pray together, and then we'll hop into it. So Father, we we come before you thankful that we've been able to already celebrate um, Advent and what you're doing uh, here in our midst and what you have done in Christ. And so I just pray that as we gather here as a community, we would be able to, by slowing down and reflecting on your word, hear your voice to us this morning. And so we just commit this next little while to you, trusting that you will move and act and speak through your spirit to empower your people. So uh, would you speak to us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I have the privilege of being able to lead us through our Advent sermon series. It's Advent. You can see the candles were lit up. The trees are here. It's Advent. It's Christmas. And we're going through a new sermon series called The Grand Miracle, How the Incarnation Changes Everything. And I love Christmas. I don't know what it is. I get all the warm fuzzies. I don't know if it's because when I had, like now that I have kids, my heart has grown three times its size and I just love everything about it. It's just this amazing time and I feel like Buddy the Elf from the Elf movie and I just have to like rein it in a little bit because I get too excited. But it's like, I don't know, it's like the lights, it's the, it's the presents, it's the gifts, it's the festivities, it's the family, it's the fun that happens, it's the traditions, it's all of it. I just, I love all of it, so much, and it's so great, and I already have my Christmas lights up, so it's November, and I have my Christmas lights up. Anyone else, Christmas lights up? Yes, way to go. Anyone with a tree up yet? Yes, okay, anyone with a live tree up? A few diehards, yes, way to go, that is beyond me, that is incredible to see. Yeah, that's even more Christmas spirit than I have, so well done. Um, yeah, I don't know, we love, we love Christmas, it's a time of joy and festivities. It's also a time where we get to slow down and reflect on some truths that we don't often stop and slow down and reflect on. And so it's this time for me filled with awe and wonder and even like the miraculous, you know? There's just this anticipation of the miraculous. And it's like, we see, and what's that movie? It's a Christmas miracle. I don't know what that's from, but whenever anything good happens, we're like, it's a Christmas miracle. Like if you pull out your old Christmas lights, like I did, and it's been a year since you've used them and you plug them in and they actually still work, it's a Christmas miracle, right? Because that never happens. It's a Christmas miracle. And we, but there's, you know, deeper things. We see people who kind of start going above and beyond and they're, they're extra kind and extra compassionate. It's a time of extra giving and, and serving and loving one another. And so it's this time filled with awe, wonder, and the expectation of the miraculous, to me at least. Um, but I know that, you know, this season also can have a sense of, well, there's not always the miraculous. And there are things in each of our lives where it's like, hmm, you know, I really wish God would show up and act and move and speak in this area of my life, but to be honest, I don't know if he is. And so it can be a season that's a little bit challenging in that way too. And I want to read um, from a little booklet here, an excerpt that I'll, I'll mention this booklet later, but it says this about Advent. It says, you may be entering this Advent season with a sense of inadequacy, Perhaps your life is filled with great difficulty. The deep grief of loss, discouragement, financial concerns, addiction, depression, or even a sense that God is far from you. 
The good news is that you are actually in a wonderful place to begin a, to begin a meaningful Advent journey. For this season isn't about what we must accomplish, but rather about what God has already done in the miracle of the incarnation. In fact, all we need to do is invite God into the authentic reality of our messy, broken, complicated lives to be transparently present to him in the midst of our weakness. How do we best do this? Slow down and spend time in quiet, as Jesus taught us, to read the words of scripture and to listen to our God right where we are. And so that's what I hope that this Advent season is for us individually and as a community here gathered that it would be a time where we could slow down and reflect on the grand miracle. What C.S. Lewis calls the grand miracle. He wrote an essay called The Grand Miracle referring to the incarnation and why. Why is the incarnation in his mind the grand miracle? It's the grand miracle because without it, Christianity is nothing. Without the grand miracle of the incarnation, you don't have Christianity. It's the one miracle that every miracle before it in history points ahead to and finds its fulfillment in. And it's the one miracle that afterwards all the other miracles point back to and find their their place in. It's the grand miracle of the incarnation. And my hope is that as we take time to reflect on the incarnation together as a community, we can see how it is the grand miracle, miracle for us too. It's the one miracle that when we look at, reflect on, we see how it actually answers and fulfills our deepest longings for the miracles that we long to see God doing in our lives. And so by slowing down, reflecting on, I think that we'll see that. It's kind of like my wife makes this amazing Christmas drink. It's like milk simmered on a stove and she adds all these like cloves and spices and she puts in this like rooibos tea. And the tea just like infuses the whole drink slowly and then this aroma comes out of it and fills the whole house. I think if we steep in the incarnation this season, it'll slowly change who we are. We'll see that it really does change everything and it'll start to change how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see him moving in our lives and how we see how we act in the world. So I'm excited to do that with you. Um, But before we get into the passage that I want to speak from, which is Hebrews 1, you can turn there if you would like, Um, I, I think we need a definition first. I've said the word incarnation a bunch of times already, and you may be new to the faith, you may be exploring the faith, you might know the word incarnation, and you've heard it many times, but it's just good for a refresher. Um, When I say the incarnation, when we will be saying the incarnation um, throughout this sermon series, um, what we mean, well, what we don't mean is what my kids thought when I I was at the table, and I'm like, okay, thought experiment. Kids, what comes to mind when I say incarnation? And, uh, Some of the answers were cars in a nation. So a nation full of cars. It's not what we're talking about. Um, Also, uh, the carnation, the flower, being inside of a carnation flower, not what we're talking about. Uh, But another thought that might come to mind is like reincarnation. We're also not talking about reincarnation, where some people believe that when you die, you come back to earth as another creature or another human or or an animal. That's not what we're talking about. When we say incarnation, what we mean is God becoming human. That's what the incarnation means. God becoming a human. The God, the one and only, all-knowing, eternal, transcendent, forever existing, all-powerful, all-knowing, creator God, that God, becoming tiny, small, finite, fragile, limited by time and space, flesh, flesh, 
blood, bone, tiny little human. That's the grand miracle, the grand miracle of the incarnation. It's like one of my favorite worship songs um, that we do called Arrival. It's a Christmas song. It says, who is God that he would take our frame, the architect inside the plan, or breathe the very air his breath sustains, the artisan inside the paint? It's this like powerful image of, of this creator God, this painter becoming part of his paint, or the architect becoming part of the building like he's he's entered into his creation and it's this profound mystery that kind of blows our minds and and people have grappled with this god revealing himself in the person of jesus you know so 2000 years ago the the mary uh, a virgin conceives not in the way that humans have conceived throughout all of time but god overshadowing her and bringing life into her womb in one cell that was god <laughs> God in one cell and growing into an embryo and growing into a full-grown baby inside of her and being birthed and, and needing to be fed and needing to be changed and screaming and crying and being absolutely dependent and then that little baby growing up to a little, a little boy running around who's learning and thinking and laughing and crying and, and tumbling around and, and then that little boy growing up into a man, a full-grown man who has deep thoughts and deep emotions and has feelings and can relate to people and communicate with people and can feel pain and can suffer and can die. That's, that's the incarnation, God becoming a human being. And that thought has, has, has baffled people. <laughs> it baffles me for, for many centuries. And, and, and through Scripture, um, for the first five centuries, especially after Christ, godly people who are deep thinkers and, and prayers have wrestled with scripture to think of what does this mean? What does this mean that Jesus is God? How is that even possible? How is a human being God? And so, so godly people have, have landed on this idea that Jesus, who we're going to be talking about and reflecting on, is fully God and fully man. You might have heard that term. He's fully God and he's fully man. Two natures in the one person of Jesus. He's not just some person that is, happens to be really close to God or happens to be a really good godly person. No, he has existed for all eternity. He is God. But he's also not just God who has come and put on some flesh and pretended to be a human with some phantom body. No, he is actually human. He is actually breathing, thinking, talking human. And so they've... Godly people have landed by wrestling through Scripture and understanding Scripture correctly that Jesus is fully God and fully man in the one person of Jesus Christ. And you might think, okay, why is that necessary to think of it and try to get it accurate? Well, without thinking of it that way, you go on all sorts of random tangents that aren't actually what Scripture tells us who Jesus is. And it's necessary for Jesus to be fully God and fully man for our salvation, like, the whole reason Jesus came into creation wasn't just to kind of hang out. It was, uh, it, you, know, he, uh, you know, he could have stayed, and that probably would have been easier and better and stayed in glory instead of coming to this suffering-filled place. But he came. Why? To rescue you and me. And so Jesus is the perfect person, God-man, who could rescue us because God is the source of salvation. He's perfect. He's the only one who can save us. We can't save ourselves. We're broken, lost, confused, sinful. But humanity is the location of salvation. 
humans need to be saved. And so Jesus, the God-man, the source and the location of salvation in the one person of Jesus, he's the perfect mediator between God and man so that we can actually know God and he can know us to be fully known and to know God. And so that's why the incarnation matters. And if you'd like to you know, learn more about this and get a lot deeper, I would really highly recommend going to Dr. Archie Spencer's um, class that he's doing next Sunday uh, and the following two Sundays at 9 a.m. because he'll dive deeper into this. But that's the incarnation. That's, so that's our sermon series. That's what we mean when we say incarnation. And so now let's dive into our text because I think that as we look at the incarnation, it's going to change how we view one thing. And this is a miracle that I long for, that I think the incarnation speaks to. I long for, and I don't know if you can relate, I long for God to just speak. Right? I long for God to just answer me. I talk to him. I pray to him. Why don't I hear him audibly speaking to me? Right? Do you ever wonder that? I know my kids wonder that. Just the other day, I was having a conversation with them uh, before bed, and we're talking, and you know, faith came up, and, and one of them's like, it's, I find it hard to believe. And I'm like, I get it, man. Like, why? And he's like, well, it's hard to believe when you can't see him or hear him. I'm like, yes. I think every human throughout history can identify with that feeling. And you know, we feel like, you know, God is silent, and it leads us to this question. Why is God silent? Why is he silent? That's, that's such a hard question to think through and answer. If he's real, if he loves us and he cares about us, why is he he's silent? You know, is it something wrong with me? It, does he speak to everyone else, and I'm the only one that he doesn't speak to? Is there something wrong with me? Is he giving me the silent treatment? You know, no one likes the silent treatment. I have to share this meme with you. Okay, Christmas meme, here we go. Mary and Joseph... Uh, Joseph saying, don't be mad. I said I was sorry. I should have made reservations. Talk to me, Mary. Mary, Mary. Mary says, I'm fine. How silent night began. <laughs> Come on, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Joseph getting the silent treatment. Should have made reservations. Ouch. <laughs> right? That's good. No one likes the silent treatment. And, and we wonder, you know, is... Is God giving me the silent treatment? Is that what's happening? And, you know, we can think he's silent, but I think even more than that, the hardest thing for me is when he's silent when I most need him. You know, like when in our deepest pain and in our deepest longings, and C.S. Lewis again says this, go to him, God, when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. And I think that that's a hard reality that we can sometimes feel like we're facing. God is silent and he's silent when I most need him. And so this is, I think, something that I think the incarnation can speak to. And so let's look at Hebrews 1, which says this. Hebrews 1, verse 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Okay, so this author of Hebrews seems to say and think that God is a God who speaks and he's a God who has spoken in many times and in many ways. And if you were to read the Old Testament, you would see that God does speak in many times and in many ways. He speaks audibly through the clouds. He speaks in in intuition in people's hearts. He speaks through burning bushes and and burning mountains and he speaks through laws and ceremonies and and rituals and he speaks through animals and he speaks in tons of, of, of ways in the Old Testament. And... And we can sometimes think, huh, I wish he would speak like that now. But then the author says this in verse 2. 
but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And so I get the impression when I read that of the sense of like, yes, I've spoken in all these ways, but now it's like I've saved the best till last. Like, now I'm actually saying who I am. In these final days, in the last time, my final statement to you is my son. And I've spoken through him. And we, I think, long for him to speak audibly. We long for him to speak through a burning bush in all these amazing ways. Wouldn't that be cool? But God is saying, look, that's not how I'm speaking. I'm speaking now the fullness of who I am. If you really want to hear me, look at my son. Look at him. I'm speaking now through my son and I've saved the best till last. And so when I read that, I would, I would almost expect that the next part he would say, and here's what he said, and he'd start going into everything that his son has said, but when you read it, I'll just read it now, listen to it. Spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so what we get after him saying, I've spoken through my son, isn't a list of things Jesus has said, but um, who he is and what he's done and what he will do. So when you read that text, I've kind of put it in these categories. We see from this little passage who he is. He's God's word to the world. He is God himself. He is God's exact image to me. He is the upholder of the universe. He is the ruler on the throne, and he is superior to all beings. What has he done? He's created all things, which means he's created me. He's created all of us. He's made purification for my sin, and what will he do? He will inherit all things. And so... Maybe you've heard the, the phrase, actions speak louder than words. You've heard that term. I think that's what's happening here. I think that God is saying, look, I, I, have, I have spoken in many ways. I have acted in history. But now, now I'm speaking through my son. And I'm speaking mainly through who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. And I, I, Jesus did speak, he did teach, and he did say things and reveal the Father to us, but he's saying, I'm speaking through his actions. And, and we go to John um, 1, 1, and we might know this verse where it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you could even translate that word, word, as like word deed. Some people translate it like word deed. So it's like it's God's speaking and acting in the world. He has acted and that is actually speaking louder than any word he could ever say. You know, I think of um, back when I was in the, when I was in the trades, um, we would be hiring people. And there were some people who were all talk. And, you know, they were good at like, oh, you know, I've, I've done this job for 30 years and, you know, I, I'm the best of the best and I, I show up on time and I, I leave late and I've, I've got all this experience and you're not going to regret hiring me and I'm going to, you know, make your income go way up. And I'm just like, okay, okay, that's great. Why don't you come and try it out? And often, their actions didn't line up with their words about themselves. You know, they would maybe show up late and do not a great job, and they would, you know, leave early and complain, and then they'd be gone in about a week. And it's like, well, your actions didn't line up with your words you said about yourself. And, uh, you know, or I think of, I think of, um, like, 
promises or things we, we say to people when we want our words to line up with who we are. You know, even thinking of marital promises. Like, it's one thing to say, rich or poor, sickness or health, um, you know, till death do us part, I'll always be faithful to you. That's great. Those are words. The real proof is in the pudding of actually living that out. And that's hard. And that's where we see if someone is actually loving and if someone is actually faithful in the poor, in the you know, weak, in the not best, is their faithfulness. Actions speak louder than words. And I think we all long, I know I long for actions you know, from people around me that would, that would bolster the words that they say. And I know how challenging it is to live up to the words that you say. And we long for actions. Actions speak louder than words. And I think God is saying here, I'm speaking louder than any audible voice that you'd ever want to hear. I am speaking a better word, a more powerful word than anything you could ever hope to hear from the heavens. I've spoken in my son, Jesus. And what he says here, there's this really crazy phrase, uh, verse three, it says, Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What does that even mean? Um, That phrase, exact imprint of his nature, exact imprint is kind of, it comes from, it's kind of like the word his character. It's like the word um, back then there were, um, the Romans would would, um, print money, like coins, and they would they would take a coin, a little piece of metal, and they would take um, a coin die, I think it's called, and they'd put it on and they'd hammer it, and then the image that was on the die was now printed onto the coin. And so they would say that is the character or the exact imprint, the same word that's used here, the exact imprint of the coin die. And so you can see that is the imprint of whatever emperor that was at the time. And that's the same phrase that's used here. It's like God is saying, Jesus is the exact, he, he, he is God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. And if God were to speak exactly who he is into creation, what would he say? How would he say it? And maybe I'll ask you this question. Um, if someone were to ask me for like a photo of me or a picture of me to see who is Tim, what does he look like? Um, which one of these would you, should I send? So there's this one, which is, it's technically me. My daughter drew that. That's me, she's three years old, um, so that's Tim. Or would I send this one? Has anyone ever played Nintendo Wii? No. Yes, okay, that's my Wii character. Um, that's a painting of me that my brother did, which is actually really good. Um, it's technically me. Or would I send that? That is a photo of me. The first one, okay. <laughs> I'd be like, here, this is me. That would go on my driver's license. I'm sure the police officer would be like, yeah, so probably not the first one. Good, good, good guess, good try. I would probably send the last one because <laughs> uh, that's me. That's like an exact representation through the camera of who I am. And, um, and if, if God were to look at creation and say, I want to send exactly me, what does he do? He didn't send a photo. He sent his son, and Jesus, Jesus is the exact representation of who God is to us in a way that we can understand, in a way that is accommodated to us so that we can see, know, and hear. He didn't speak some crazy divine word that we can't understand. He spoke through a person, and we can understand a person. 
He spoke through his son, Jesus. And if you're going to get anything out of this message, um, what I would want you to get is this phrase. Jesus is exactly what God wants to say to you. Jesus is exactly what God wants to say to you. In our question of his silence and where are you and I need answers to my, my doubts and my questions and my fears and my pain, every single thing that God wants to say to you is Jesus, is his son. When we look to Jesus, we hear him. When we ask God, where are you, why are you silent, we hear him through his son, Jesus. And so Jesus is every single thing that God wants to say to you. And that's hard to understand, but that's the way that God has determined to speak himself into creation. And what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Well, I think we listen. You know, there's this interesting story, maybe you've heard it, where Jesus, the embodied incarnate Jesus, um, takes some of his followers and he brings them up a mountain and then he starts to like shine and it's this crazy story called the transfiguration and he, he almost shows a bit of his radiance of the glory of God in that moment and, um, and the disciples are like, what is happening? And Moses shows up and, and Elijah shows up and they're all confused and Peter starts blabbering about we gotta keep this event happening and we gotta make tents and, and God just kind of cuts Peter off and he says this, Um, Peter was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them all and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him when the disciples heard this they fell on their faces and were terrified but Jesus came and touched them saying rise have no fear and when they lifted up their eyes they saw no one but Jesus only and so so God says listen to him you know there's, there's Moses who's like the law represents the law. There's Elijah who represents like the prophets and those are like in many times and in many ways God spoke and they both disappear and it's just Jesus and God's like, listen to him now. <laughs> not, not the law. The law doesn't fully capture who I am. The prophets don't fully capture who I am. Listen to Jesus. He is the one who fully represents who I am. But listening is hard. Like active listening is hard. It's one thing to just kind of listen but it's another thing to really listen and to really understand. Um, Like if you've ever heard of, what's his name, Gary Chapman, with the love languages, has anyone ever heard of the love languages? His basic idea is that we all speak out love how we want to be loved, so if you really enjoy quality time from people, then you're gonna probably speak quality time to people. If you really appreciate acts of service from people, you're probably going to do acts of service to love people, and then when those don't align, it kind of feels like you can be ships passing in a night, in the night. So it's like, oh, I'm doing all these acts of service for you. Why aren't you doing acts of service for you? me? You must not love me. And the person's like, well, I do love you. I'm showing you by giving you quality time, but that's not your love language. And it can be really hard to like align your love languages to like appreciate how someone is actually speaking to you, to appreciate, oh, that you are showing me love. I just need to align myself and actively listen to how you're telling me that you love me, right? And if I can be so bold, it's, it seems like Jesus is like God's love language to us. Like Jesus is the way that God has shown us that he loves us. It's through his son. And it's hard for us, you know, we want, God, why are you silent? And I want you to speak and I want you to answer me and should I turn left or right and should I pick this person or that person? It's like God has shown us his love through his son and, and, and Jesus is the way that God has shown us the depths of his love. It's through the person of Jesus. And it's almost like 
you know, he, we, we talked about that silence earlier that C.S. Lewis referred to, that silence, you know, the double bolted doors. feels like God is totally silent and, and I think that in Christ, in Jesus, his deep love for us, each one of us, all of humanity, has prompted him to want to break that silence, you know, to kick that double bolted door down and to come into creation and be like, I'm not silent. I love you all and I want to speak my love to you. You know, and I think Jesus broke the silence of God and he came into creation and he wanted to reveal his love to us and he also, I think, took the silence of God. You know, we, we think of Jesus, if you remember the scene of Jesus on the cross and he's there and he's hanging there and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's this silence, this deep silence and I think Jesus has taken the silence of God, like the silent treatment of God, so that we, through Christ, never have to hear his silence. We can always hear him speaking to us forever, for all of eternity, through his son, Jesus. And so Jesus came, and he broke the silence, and he took the silence, and he helps us hear God. And so, I'll just wrap up here in a, in a second. Um, I think to hear God speaking, there's a helpful rubric. This is a start. This isn't every way to hear Jesus, but by looking at him, we hear God. I think if we kind of slow down and ask these questions, it helps us hear him in our lives. You know, think of any area of your life where you might think, God, I'd love for you to speak into that area of my life, or God, I really feel like you're silent in this area. You know, like finances, um, you know, anxieties, frustrations, doubts, your sins, your failures, all, any area of your life where you're like, God, I just, I need you to speak. I think what we can do is slow down and actively listen by asking these questions. Who is Jesus? Who is he? What has he done? What will he do? What has he said? And what does all of that say to you? And you can even take from this passage, but you know, who is he? What has he done? What will he do? What has he said? And what does that all say to you? If you take those questions and just practice that exercise, I think that's a start for us hearing Jesus. And to use an example, like, you know, from my own life, um, anxiety, anxiety about the future. You know, I think that's, that's big in our world right now. And, you know, rising finances and all sorts of crazy things that make it hard to look at the future and go, oh yeah, that's gonna be fine. You know, it's like, the future is full of anxiety and it, and it gets to me. And so I have to, if I'm like, God, I want to hear you speaking to me in the middle of my anxieties about tomorrow, what do I do to hear him? Do I just sit there and wait until an audible voice comes into my brain or do I actively pursue and listen to Jesus by asking these questions? Who is he? Okay, who is Jesus in the middle of my anxiety? Well, just looking from this verse. Um, well, he created me. Okay, that's who he is. He's the creator, so he knows me. He knows my anxiety. He knows what I'm going through. He is exactly God, and he is the creator, so he sustains all things. He's on the throne, which means he has everything under control, so that's who he is. He's the one who has everything under control, and he's the one who knows me and loves me. What has he done? He's taken care of my deepest possible cause for anxiety, which is sin and death. He's dealt with that. Okay, That's, that helps. <laughs> what will he do? It says here he will inherit all things, which means everything will work out for good for me. Okay, because I'm in Christ. Everything's gonna work out for good. All right, he's gonna work everything out for good. 
What has he said? When he was on earth, he actually said, don't be anxious. Consider the lilies. Consider the birds. He's gonna take care of you. He knows what you need. If you seek his righteousness, he's gonna give you everything else that you need. Don't worry. And so what does all of that say to me combined? Well, it says a lot, but it says he's got me, he loves me, he created me, he knows me, he's going to take care of me and I can rest in that. And that to me is Jesus' words to me. That's God speaking to me in the middle of that. And so that's just an example of using that exercise. You take that and use it in your own life. Think through an area and just ask those questions. Slow down. And one of the ways that we can do that, filling in those blanks, is by looking to the Bible. I'll just close on this. The Bible is the link. This is what J.A. Packer said in his book, God Has Spoken. The Bible is the link between the revelatory events of the past, so the incarnation, and the knowledge of God in the present. So saturate ourselves in this, and we'll be able to hear the voice of Jesus, the voice of God speaking to us in any area and in the silence. And so I'll end with this booklet that I referenced at the beginning, which is a devotional booklet which I would love for each of you, each of your family units to have and um, the ushers are gonna be passing them out at the end as you leave. So I'd love for you to pick one of these up. It's free. It's a devotional booklet called The Grand Miracle. How fitting. And um, it's a bunch of daily reflections for the season of Advent. And what it has inside of it is um, different pictures and one quote about the incarnation from an author like C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, George MacDonald, Dorothy Sawyers, a bunch of different authors. There's a quote from them about the incarnation. There's a devotional thought about it. There's a scripture passage, and there's a prayer. And I think if we take this, and as a community, we, we go through it one a day, and just kind of slow down and reflect on the incarnation, reflect on his word, I think we will begin to hear God speaking through his son. And so I'd love for you to grab one of these in this Advent season. Make it a season where you are actively listening to who God is through his son and through his word. And so I'd like to to pray for us as we go on our way here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have decided to reveal yourself to us, that you haven't left us here on our own. We can sing with confidence we have a savior. You've come, Jesus, And I thank you that we get to know you and hear you and understand you through your word. And I pray that each of us in this community would be pressing into you, actively listening to you so that we might hear you and so that we might know the incarnation changes how we view that you speak, you've spoken through your son. And it would change how we listen, that we listen by actively looking to your son. And so would you make us just transformed by this truth. Help us as we go into our weekend in this Advent season to lean on you and to trust in you and depend on you and to hear you. So thank you for this time together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.